0: Welcome back to another episode of the Busted Header Podcast. I'm Chris, aka Not the Fake Webby, and I'm joined as always by my favorite draft expert, Hal, aka Jake, aka Hal Brutus.
1: I got I got my like expertise certificate from one of them online things, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one of them online colleges.
0: He got it in the mail last week. We can call him that. Uh, with that Certified said, of course,
1: bad takes. That's what I got. <laughs>
0: Uh, with that with that said, today we're going to be talking about the upcoming draft, the most important thing on the Pistons docket, um, and kind of reviewing uh, some of the prospects which we're going to do over the next uh, couple weeks. We're going to take it kind of three prospects at a time, because if we did any more than that at a time, these podcasts would be about 90 minutes to two hours, and no one wants to listen to that. Um, so we're going to start off, you know, at the top with the top three prospects Um, According to Jake's board, I want to specify that, because I've seen a lot of differing opinions on that. Um, So the prospects we're going to go over today are Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Green. Um, So starting off, uh, something that you're going to notice, we're going to try and have like a a theme for each grouping. Um, Today's theme is star potential, which makes sense. These are going to be guys at the top of the draft, and the ones we think will be the most, you know franchise-altering um, in terms of potential, um, which is something that I would say the Pistons have rarely had. There's desperately how many... needed. The, the work yes. you're
1: looking for is desperately needed, as in begging, as in pleading for, for, like, 15 years.
0: I mean, it's been longer than that. If I mean, I know we looked back on one of these podcasts of when the last time the Pistons had, like, a top-four lottery pick, and it was, what, just Grant Hill was the only one in... I mean,
1: you're going back to, unless you want to count, like, half a year's worth of Blake Griffin, you're going back to basically Chauncey Billups leaving. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your 2007 era was, like, the last time the Pistons were like, yeah, maybe one of our guys could make it into, like, get an MVP vote kind of thing.
0: Well, I'm just talking about from, like, a draft perspective. Like, when's the last time the Pistons had From a draft
1: perspective, the Pistons have basically (laughs) never drafted that guy in the modern era. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, it's like we've not,
1: It's not been since the like Iverson era or mm-hmm. Iverson. Um wow, that was really bad of me. From the from the Isaiah uh, Thomas era. Yes. Like that that was like the guy Grant Hill was the guy, but obviously that didn't quite work. They were the the team around Grant Hill wasn't ready to be the team around Grant Hill at the time. You know, they mm-hmm. it, they weren't ready for that level of talent yet. Um yeah, so, yeah, yeah but pretty much Isaiah,
0: with 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 the exception of you know, a Darko, the the highest draft pick I think we've had like in my we didn't lifetime. Make
1: it one episode, not one episode into drafting, and you pull out the fucking Darko. We got to make damn. it
0: three minutes in. But hey, I'm just gonna say this is something that the Pistons have needed, and Pistons haven't really had. The highest draft pick I think we've had has been Greg Monroe at seven. Like beyond that, the Pistons don't get these high lottery picks. So this. Um obviously with the lottery going here in a couple weeks I think it's on the 22nd. Um but you know prior to that we're going to have a top what? Top 5 draft pick is that what we're locked in as after our beautiful tank job? Six. Five it's got to be 6. Got to be 6. The top 6. But most likely to be a top 5 pick at worst. It be what 20% chance of getting a 6 pick. So,
1: yeah. I don't want to <laughs> look it's depressing. I, I, I have in front of me, it's 20%. I, I think we mentioned this on a previous pod, but, like, the downside of having a high pick sneakily is that you actually have, like, a really good chance of getting a worse, like, a falling in the draft. Like, yeah. the Pistons can only really go down from here. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, yeah, you've got your 14% chance at the overall, you've got a 52% chance at a, no, at a top four pick, but... Uh, there are pretty good odds that you get jumped, unfortunately. So, we'll see. Yep,
0: that's just kind of how it goes. The Pistons have been in that mid-to-late ladder in the 7 eight, 9 for forever. <laughs> and then they we changed the rules the second we move up. <laughs> so now we're going to drop down again. Um, but for the next couple weeks, at least, we're going to play it like we have... Well, I guess we're going to be looking at it like the Pistons are at the number two pick until... Um, proven otherwise so mama always uh, said
1: i had a powerful imagination <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're gonna need that with some of the draft luck i've seen with us oh so. my god um but anyways so looking at these players like i said off the top they're gonna be your star potential guys they're gonna be your franchise altering guys these are going to be what you hope to be your you know your luka Doncic, sure your, your trey youngs the guys that you think will change the program and really kind of bring the Pistons to the forefront in the new future. I love um, calling
1: it a program. It's got very college vibes. <laughs> I know. I said that. Uh, and I, I, I said just, that when, it was just uh, in the when flow? John Beeline joined uh, the team. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's a good addition to the program. And I was like, whoops, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like whatever,
0: Whatever, like hearing the word program, my, brain, my mind automatically goes to like a college basketball team. And I'm like, no, right. that, I said that. And then it, <laughs> my brain caught up to what I was saying. <laughs>
1: Right, but, you definitely see the sixty-five-year-old white guy talking about teenagers in your head all of a sudden. God,
0: <laughs> that was too real as a Michigan State fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. So this is something that the Pistons have sorely needed, and I think we have a team that, with the right couple draft picks over the next couple of years, which we've talked about many a time at this podcast. They can really kind of help push the narrative and bring the Pistons back to the forefront from where they are currently, which is not looking too great. We're kind of the the punch punching bag in a lot of the national broadcasts. and national have the uh, second
1: pick for a reason.
0: <laughs> yep, exactly. So, with that being said, um, we're going to move on and talk about. Uh, just edit all that out. That was that. <laughs> I lost where I was going halfway through that. Do you want to jump we're gonna, into we're gonna talk-, talk?
1: We're going to talk about the the philosophy behind star power and what star power really looks like and what you know what do you get when you're talking about getting a star mm-hmm. and um so we talked a little bit about this before we started recording but like everyone knows that like a star has to score right whether that's mm-hmm. 20 points a game or 35 points a game you know changes based on what the star is and it changes based on a uh you know uh the position and all this stuff but like what are some of the things you look for skill-wise when you're looking for a star? And, like, one of the things that we may not talk about a whole lot is communication, right? Guys who are, like, actual leaders, guys who talk. um, This is something we we can skip ahead to Cade Cunningham here for a second. Really, really vocal guy on the court clearly walks into Oklahoma State as a leader, as a guy, um... You know talking on defense talking to the media um willing to like say things not just like you know show up on camera but but actually speak uh somewhat eloquently sometimes about things you know um what what are some of the things you think of when you're you're looking for a star
0: yeah i mean i think definitely when you're talking about kind of the you know the top level star one of the things that you would expect is kind of that character aspect and Something that I think we've seen, you know, a player that came out and really kind of showed that to a T, and what you want um, from someone like a young player stepping in the locker room is a Donovan Mitchell, where he came into you know Utah, and it was already a veteran team. He was, had a lot of great teammates around him. Don't get me wrong. And you know, in terms of the Mike Conleys, the Rudy Goberts, uh, but he came in and just just became like um, a leader in that locker room and been such a, a crucial point for the entire team to kind of go to. He's the guy in the post-game uh, interviews, who's you know with a smile on his face, complimenting his teammates, talking about how great of a game they had, um, but at the same time being the first one into, into the weight room in the off-season, you know the consummate professional. So yeah, that's that's definitely a, an important point I think for and, not and just a couple not just with the can star, like you can, yeah.
1: you can be like Luka Doncic for example walks in, uh, he's there for Dirks last year, but uh, you know he's the emotional leader he's immediately the gregarious guy in the locker room um friends with everyone you know you can be trey young where you know trey's also friends but like he's uh he's an intensity guy you know in a different way right he's talking trash he's he's shushing the crowd (laughs) yeah you know um whereas like donovan is the guy who came in and was like the professional from day one Mm -hmm. right in a very like different way a much more mature um and like composed figure for a lot of his time in utah and like he needed to be because that utah team as you said was a much more veteran squad so um what are what are some other things you look at
0: yeah i mean specifically kind of looking at kind of the star players in the nba i think that that that's more of a point for the last point was kind of more you know athletes in general when you want to have someone who's a leader in the locker room um but in terms of like looking at the skills on the on the basketball court Um, the main thing for me, I want to see, uh, which I think you need in today's NBA is not just the ability to score, but the ability to score without needing help from your teammates. Uh, right now, all the top guys in the NBA, the top, you know, 15, 20, I don't even know how far you want to go up the list at this point. (laughs) It's almost up to 30 guys at this point. Um, you can trust to, you know, shot clocks running down, there's five seconds left, give them the ball at the top of the key. They're going to make something happen. It may not always be a bucket. It sometimes it's going to be a pass off to an open three point shooter, but there's something where the you know a star in an NBA today always has the ball in his hands, and he's always able to kind of carry that team in kind of like a Michael Jordan fashion. The way you always remember MJ just whenever they needed a bucket, they can go to him, and he was going to get it done. And I think nowadays, like in the past, it was something that you know in a center-dominated league, you didn't see it as much. But now with the amount of talent that we have um, in today's players, that's kind of just a prerequisite to be a top player in the NBA is to be a bona fide scorer, someone who can get to the basket at rim, or just have that opportunity to create um, it for his teammates, where, you know, in the past it would be, you know, a point guard would have a better, be more, be more, uh, that's what I'm looking for, uh, be more of a pass first uh, guy, a center, be more a defense first guy, but in today's NBA you got to score, and that's going to be the first thing I think it when you look at any of these guys in the draft at the top end is how well are you how great are you at scoring and what can you do with the basketball in your hands
1: yeah like and th- and there's a couple of layers to it right like you got to be able to beat a man and mm-hmm. so you have like your your like lowercase s star which is like you have to be able to beat a switch right you got to be able to like beat a mismatch and then there's like your capital s star which is you have to beat whoever's in front of you Right. You know, yeah. it, you know, LeBron James prefers to beat up on the little guy or beat up on the center. But he knows that if he has to go at Kawhi Leonard, he's going to go at Kawhi Leonard. Right. James Harden would much prefer to cook your center. But if he's got to ISO on, you know, Paul George, he'll ISO on Paul George because that's what's got to happen. And that's definitely the, you know, the, the capital S thing is you have to be able to beat your man, not even necessarily score on your man, but you've got to put him. You know, you've got to be able to get past him and put a team in rotation. And then, obviously, the next step to being a true star is being able to ma- take that and make your teammates better, right? You have mm-hmm. to be able to make. If you are scoring 35 a night and you're averaging a single assist, you know, it's because people want you to score, right? It's it's because they're letting you score so you're not, you know, especially if, once you get to, like, the playoff-type atmosphere. You know, that's... that's you just have to be able to make plays, and that's um, probably the biggest thing we look for from a from a draft scouting perspective. Is can you beat your man? And then once you beat your man, uh, how do you handle defensive rotations? How do you handle things when defenses change stuff up on you? Um, you know, are you able to read multiple coverages and and pass out of it? Um, so yeah, I, I think that's probably two of the biggest things we just hit on right there. Is the ability to communicate the ability the ability to lead um you know the ability to to accept responsibility is a is a huge thing there are guys who just are not built for that like we kind of have seen that with paul george right yeah for all his talent and he's an incredibly talented player he never really made a lot of sense as a star as the as the the 1a guy um and and that you know, being next to Kawhi, it's like, yeah, Kawhi's the guy, and it's very obvious, and I think both of them are better for that. Um mm-hmm. now that said, yeah. if you have a chance to draft Paul George, you should probably draft Paul George. Yeah. There's not many there. Paul Georges out there in the league right now.
0: <laughs> um but Yeah, to go on with your earlier take, and I think that's that's a really important thing that kind of differentiates the you know, like you said, like you kind of put it, the lowercase S stars from the uppercase S stars. And and the way it kinda of differentiate Differentiate that <laughs> there's a lot of syllables in that one uh, is kind of comparing the difference between you know someone who can you know lead a team that's going to be a lottery team maybe win the couple games maybe have you know maybe he'll look good you have the writers in the offseason talking about how you know he he's just in a bad team he doesn't have anyone around him um, but in reality he's not doing anything to make his teammates better versus kind of that uppercase S is someone who can you know, get everyone around him to perform much better. I think the best example that recently has been Chris Paul. Wherever he's gone, you know, the second you put him on that team, you put him in, you know, Houston, you put him in Oklahoma City, you put him in Phoenix, no matter where it goes, him going in there and making his teammates better has massively excelled that team and moved their success forward. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> as we've seen he's had problems making it all the way, just there's a lot of different reasons why he's never, you know, made it to the ti- or to the finals, never had a chance to compete for a title, but the teams that he has um, played for have really gotten a lot better just because of the way he makes everyone around him better. And LeBron's another great example of that. Right. It's uh,
1: it's, it's like the difference between like your your um, Luka Doncic and Julius Randle. Yeah. Like, there's just something extra about what Luca able to do—breaking down his own guy and and finding people, and you know, just both are great. And looking at Julius Randle, you're like, he's got all these tools. It's it, you know, he is a lowercase S star, but mm-hmm. there's just an extra edge to everything Luca does that unlocks so many things for his team. Where you you know you legitimately think, wow, these guys can beat the Clippers, which should be you know the Clippers should be a title <laughs> contender any year. And, you know, they they came this close even after uh, an injury kind of derailed them a little bit. So, you mm-hmm. know, and that's maybe a decent thing to, to bring up here as well. Health is is not something you can yeah. really scout, you know, especially if, like, you know, us, you know, in a in a gaming chair behind a computer. Uh, you know, we don't have medical reports like NBA teams, but it is like, are they uh, somebody who looks fragile? Like you look at someone like Steph Curry. You know he beat the odds in a big way, and there's a reason he went lower in the draft than he, you know, than hindsight says he should have, and a big part of it is that he was a skinny toothpick, and, you know, people had a lot of concerns about that, and they were well-founded concerns that did derail the first half of his career.
0: I mean, that's the same reason that, that's the same reason Joel Embiid didn't go number one overall was injury concerns, and you're still seeing that at this point in his career where he's, you know. He sat out a couple of games against the Wizards. He's not looked 100%. He's looked good against the Hawks, but he hasn't looked 100%. And, you know, it's very important (laughs) how healthy you're going to be. And it's unfortunate. It's cruel that, you know, you get judged on how healthy you can be. But it's very important when you're trying to be the best player on a basketball team that you can be playing on that basketball team for as many games as possible.
1: Yeah. And I think the the last thing I want to bring up here about, like, looking for star talent is just, like... When you see guys making plays it's it's one of those things like we could define it in all sorts of ways but when you see the guy who like comes up with the big steal, you know, or hits the big shot and everyone just kind of knows you know that's the guy. And it's one of those things mm-hmm. you're watching a college game and you're like, "Oh, this is the guy that took the reins, you know, of the team when there's a minute left and his team's down 3 and they pull it out cuz he did it all, you know, on both ends, he came up with the play you know do you scout that for a skill no but it absolutely means something it means thing it means something when people on your team trust you to take those those shots and make those plays you know again fast forwarding to Cade Cunningham he was a dude yeah. who just absolutely took over in the second half of games over and over mm-hmm. and over again he'd he'd kind of fool around almost it felt like in the first half just kind of playing the team game and then he'd score like 22 in the second and it yep. was just like, this is a dude they trust. This is a, you know, that matters. Um, you know, it's one of those things like allow somebody's team and allow somebody's coach to tell you who they are. And sometimes it's like, yeah, that's the dude. And and sometimes you'll be scouting a guy and you'll be like, wait a minute, why'd the point guard get that shot? And sometimes <laughs> it's because the coach is bad. And sometimes <laughs> it's because that point guard is selfish. And sometimes it's because that guy just didn't have it. And you have to take a, a second look and figure out, you know, maybe – um, you know, maybe they scored twenty-five this game in college. Obviously, that's a big deal. But you know, maybe they were doing it within the flow of an offense, and things bogged down and in, in crunch time, and you have to figure out. You know, was it a lack of skill somehow uh, that prevented this guy from getting there? You know, it th- th- it allows you to ask questions you may not ask if you're just looking at a YouTube highlight reel.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's where watching the full game definitely makes a difference. And, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Kate, and in, in what you were describing with Kate is something that I I remember seeing. Pretty vividly with uh, John Morant before him when he was playing yes. at uh, Warhead State. Is that where he was at? Murray State. I, think so, yeah. I forget. Yeah. M State something, <laughs> but not Michigan State, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, just watching like Ja Morant just take over games at the end of you know of the second half in college, where you know his teammates were just sitting around because they knew that he was going to carry them on. It's something that obviously you can't base your entire you know scouting off of because. In college, there's a lot of players that kind of get that treatment that maybe don't quite, well, we know are not going to translate to the NBA game. But at the same time, if someone has all these other, you know, they have the measurables, they have the strengths elsewhere, and they have that, and their teammates are looking to them, you can tell that that player is most likely going to succeed at the next level because yeah. that's something that very few people can actually, you know, put all put all together. So.
1: All right, let's move into the uh, the actual prospects. You want to start us off?
0: Yep, sure thing. So we're going to talk uh, first. Uh, continuing on with Cade Cunningham, he is of course a guard from Oklahoma State. Played one year uh, for the. I'm blanking on their name. What's their name? Hokies, right? No.
1: Wow, I'm also blanking. <laughs> it's Cowboys.
0: I know it's orange and black. I think it's I the
1: cow. I think it's. I think they're Cowboys. Like okay. cowpokes right. or something.
0: God, I feel so bad. How do I not know what Oklahoma State is?
1: Because <laughs> they're Oklahoma um, State, they're never relevant. <laughs> I mean I guess yes. But <laughs> if it weren't for the fact that his brother was coaching there, he wouldn't have been there.
0: Yeah, that is true. That's a story for another day. Um, anyway, so he is uh six foot eight, uh, two twenty. The wingspan I saw is about seven seven one. So pretty pretty good size for you know, a point guard combo guard in the league. Um, he's gonna be nineteen, I think, three quarters at the draft. Um, in college, per 36, he averaged 20 points, 3.5 assists, 6 rebounds, and 2.4 stocks. Um, for me, the thing that kind of stuck out as the negative was the low assist-to-turnover ratio, which is only a .86, which I think you can, you'll can you expand on later. Um, but he had some stellar shooting percentages, shooting 44% from the field, 40 from three, and most importantly, 85% from the line. Um, so tell us what you think is the biggest strength for Cade. Um, on offense
1: well, kind of shockingly because he didn't come into this year as a shooter um, but it might be his shot making now, I I mean nobody really expected him to be a 40% 3 point shooter this year, that was not what he was in college in college he was very much the guy who got everyone else involved and and, uh, he played on a, I believe it was a Montverde uh, team that was absolutely stacked, one of the best uh, high school teams we've ever seen um, mm-hmm. you know, but he's a great shot maker who was shooting really well off, uh, multiple platforms, off the dribble. Uh, he shot some off movement. He shot, um, you know, catch and shoots. He was shooting, uh, like leaning left and right, moving, um, you know, like drifting. Uh, he was shooting pull-ups. Um, but the, the big thing is his playmaking and that's, you brought it up. It's kind of a weird thing. Uh, he, he did not have a positive assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, it was sub-one, actually, which is ridiculous. Yeah. The, uh, but you just watch him and, like, okay, this guy knows how to play make. And yeah. so you, you you say, okay, what, how, how does this work? Well, his team's uh, overall three-point percentage is 33%. And remember, this is Cade taking six threes a game at 40%. Dragging that up. I think only like one other person on his team shot above like 35%. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's Isaac Likely shot forty-four percent on less than one a game. No one else shot above thirty-three percent. So Oof. you know, <laughs> y- yeah, no one else shot above thirty-three percent. Um Rondell Walker was the the like the shooter on the team shooting three threes a game at thirty-three percent. So when you're like, okay, well, his assist-to-turnover ratio is really bad, we're talking about probably the worst team that a top pick has ever been on uh, wow. that, I, that I can think of. And, like, Ben Simmons's LSU team was bad. I think this is worse. And that's with Isaac Likely maybe being, like, a fringe NBA guy in the future, probably a G League guy. Um, so, like, Cade makes the plays. He makes the scoop mm-hmm. passes over his head. He makes the dump off plays. He throws lobs. Um, you know his highlight uh, reel in, in high school is just full of him lobbing to like Moses Moody, and um, I think I think Mobley was on that team. I can't remember for for sure. Uh, I know they had a star big man, but uh, you know he makes these wow. plays. Is he like a, a Lamelo Ball type passer? No, but he's like the tier beneath that. And when you're six, seven, six, eight, you've got that wingspan. You've got a scoring profile like he does. That's more than enough. You know, he's he's a, he's an A-grade passer for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Then I think one of the the next big thing. Uh, he was a plus contributor defensively. Um, he was pretty good positionally. He was really good in help defense. He did some stuff around the rim. Uh, he drew a lot of fouls. He. Uh, his handle is probably one of his weaknesses, I think. Um, it, really? It's a little high. It's a little loose. Um, but again, we're talking about a point forward. And to be honest, I think he he developed it a lot this year. Uh, I think it was a lot better at the end of the year because he was dribbling through like quadruple teams. <laughs> like yeah. they're literally like beating his man, splitting a trap at the elbow uh, and then like Doing a dribble move and a gather move to get past a big man at the rim, like doing beating four people in one possession. So, while he's not like Campbell Walker, and you know, he's not even like like LaMelo Ball, for example, last year, just like a crazy dribble package was it just ball on a string stuff, but also like street ball stuff. Yeah. That's not Cade, but uh, and and like. I would like it to be better, but that's definitely something I think he improved on. All in all, you're just you're talking about a dude who is big, can shoot, can pass, plays defense, has the leadership qualities you're looking for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there isn't really a black mark on Cade Cunningham's skill package. The no. <laughs> questions he might have. Um, how, you can you can ask maybe a little bit how much the shooting is real. I think the form looks good, but again, he did not come in as a shooter. His high school tape didn't show him as a shooter. Um, Cade will tell you this was basically the first year he ever thought of like being a three point shooter. He'd never really bothered before because his team was so stacked he didn't need to. Um, <laughs> That's he's a nice also, problem to have. <laughs> yeah, he's also not the craziest athlete. Like yeah, he's a good athlete, but he's like a B grade NBA athlete. Um, he's fast, he's pretty fluid, um, he's very coordinated, but uh, he's not the head-at-the-rim, put-back-dunk guy. He's not LeBron transition, uh, like, blocks guy. Uh, that's It's just not his game. He's, he's um, you know, like, he's a better athlete, I think, than, like, Luka Doncic is, though. You yeah. know, like... I mean, I think... And I, I think the way, the way I look a it, good comparison for him.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like... He's a 6 foot 8 point guard. I think his biggest knock is probably like his athleticism is kind of so-so, but he's a 6 foot 8 point guard with a 7 <laughs> right. foot wingspan. Like you don't have to be in a, you don't have to be Russell Westbrook to to like exceed in the NBA if you're that big and have, you know, the shooting that he has. Right. So Right. I think the thing I think the thing that you talked about that I would say made me in the weirdest way was kind of the the biggest, I think plus for Cade, was you talking about how bad that team was. Um, and that being said, they still were, what, the four seed in the tournament?
1: I think they won a tournament game.
0: They won a tournament. Well, they were, they were like, a three or a four I can't remember if they seed.
1: won two tournament games or won eight, one, but, like...
0: They won, I have it up now, so they won one tournament game, they were the four seed, they lost to a good Oregon State team that made it to the Elite Eight. And that weird Midwest bracket where everything went topsy-turvy. Um, but that being said, they were also one of two teams to beat Baylor and the only team to do it Correct. on a neutral court, Correct. <laughs> which is insane for somebody you said is like one of the worst, uh, teams that a first overall draft pick was on. Like the fact that he's going up and beating a team that just barnstormed through, you know, March madness. And their only other loss was at Kansas, which is like the biggest asterisk because Kansas is one of the best home courts in, you know, college basketball, like, I was very impressed with Cade from start to finish this year. And as you said, there wasn't a whole lot of help. It was it was a lot of just him being that good. his, <laughs> it his, his resume is,
1: is pretty much spotless. Um yeah. You know, I I I've said before, I think he's basically the best number 1 overall pick prospect I've seen since I started doing this. Maybe better than Luca, uh maybe better than Carl yeah. Anthony Towns. Like and those Zion? are the next two guys. Um Just because, like, he's a better athlete than Luca and he's got longer arms. Uh, Luca had, the the big advantage he had was, like, a ridiculous amount of experience overseas. Yeah. Um, He came in, like, ready to go. And you see it now. Luca's is is way, way, way ahead of the developmental curve uh, as a playmaker. Um, He makes adjustments and reads on the fly that we may not see from Cade Cunningham for several years. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because he had all that experience. I mean, he won a title in Europe. With Real Madrid, that's I, as the captain and MVP of a team. Like, um, yeah, Luca had but, to be the most overqualified. But we're talking about that category of prospect <laughs> like, here. He's that year old.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely on that level. I would put, I mean, I would put Cade up there real high. Especially over the last two years, I think, I think it's undisputed that he's the best prospect to come into the NBA in the last two years. And if you want to go a year back, like with uh, the Zion John Morant draft, like he'd be right there with them. At very, Absolutely. at the very he, least, he'd be the number that, one he,
1: in the Zion draft.
0: That's. He clip that. That's that's gonna be the take.
1: He would be. So that's you're talking about a guy who is the same size as Zion, but shoots forty percent from three. But, like Zion's got the highlights, and that's great. But that's not Zion what wins Zion. games <laughs> now. We're seeing a Zion right now in the pros, like this point Zion experiment. You know, maybe that's that. He, he might be the better player. I'm just saying, from a prospect valuation standpoint, I think Cade's a better prospect. Uh, wow. And uh, I think one of the big advantages is I don't trust Zion to stay healthy. Um, and yeah, I, th- I that's think that's true. a big advantage in Cade's favor. I also think Cade's a much smarter defender. Um, but, mm-hmm. I, I mean, again, this is the level of prospect we're talking about. Um now, yeah, I wanted, it's I wanted, definitely
0: a bona fide number one pick.
1: Yeah, I wanted to to talk a little bit with these guys. Um, this is probably more important for some of the later pods we do, but about projecting some of these skills forwards and what do these guys look like? Um, you know, what what does Cade Cunningham, you know, league MVP look like? Because we're that's the kind of guy we're saying he might be. You know, mm-hmm. what does that look like for him projecting? He's pretty easy, and that's like, okay, he gets a little better yeah. with a handle... You know he continues to grow and and stay in shape, put on a little more muscle. You know it's mostly a linear thing for him because he's got a baseline of skills across the board. Um, mm-hmm. I think the big concern for him, obviously injuries aside, we always worry about injuries. I don't think he's got, um, unlike say Zion, where it's like okay, this dude's body is weird. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, like he doesn't have any of those concerns. I think the biggest projection concern is that he's a little more. Um, like maybe we're overrating his passing a little bit because we all expect it to be mm-hmm. what we, you know, we all think it's this good. Uh, he hasn't had a chance to show it in the kind of space the NBA provides, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it might just be like if he's not quite that same tier of passer, maybe he he's like a halfway capitalized s star, you know, like that's the kind of thing, you know, maybe he's the the like Jason Tatum level star and not quite the the next guy, um, but like I, 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 genuinely don't know what you could be worried about with Cade Cunningham preventing him from being yeah. at least an all-star level player.
0: Yeah, I think like there's like he's going to be a starter in the NBA. I think there's no question about that. The skills that he's already shown at the college level, combined with you know the measurables and the stuff that he brings, kind of these intangibles that he brings to the table. Like there's no question he's going to be yep. a starter and a very good one in the NBA. He may it's very well. Just be a matter how high is that year. ceiling like it we're, we're hyping kate up a lot here i feel like but the sky is the limit with him he's got that potential yeah so um, it's just a matter of time and seeing what he can do
1: so the last thing we want to talk about fit with detroit uh come, come on, on. <laughs> dumb question it, I, we're talking about work. a guy you can play one through four uh you know there are people who are like oh i don't know if he fits with killing hayes i'm sorry what he can
0: play the four in today's NBA, like, like you, you can make it work.
1: Yeah, you're telling me that a Killian Hayes, Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bey, uh, Jeremy Grant, Isaiah Stewart lineup doesn't make sense to you in your head? Your head is weird. I'm be there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like, in terms of, like, trying to mold a lineup, like, Cade is putty. You can fit him wherever. He'll work anyway. fine. <laughs> and, I mean, if we have – I mean, you could talk about, like, oh, well, you got to share the ball. Killian's going to want the ball. He's going to want the ball. I mean, if the Nets can coexist with Kyrie, Harden, and KD <laughs> if they're ever healthy, I have no problems like figuring out how Cade and Killing are going to fit together. Yeah, they'll the, make it work. The hierarchy the, is the, pretty clear. <laughs> the The James Harden, Chris Paul, like time in Houston, showed us that yeah, you can have two ball dominant players and be very good because of it. So, I mean, <laughs> I, there's no <laughs> fit concern is not existent with Cade.
1: Yeah, and, and one of our future you know philosophy segments we'll talk about how you know secondary ball handling and secondary passing is probably like the best thing you can have as a role player and we'll get to that but yeah it's not a problem um you want to move on to the next guy
0: yep so we're going to talk about uh number two guy which is evan mobley the center um from usc he is listed at seven foot tall 215 pounds seven four wingspan um he will just have his 20th birthday i think right before the actual (laughs) Um, draft, so he's a hair of a bit older than um, the other two that we're talking about today. Um, he'll be a in month before the
1: draft, because he's, he's June 18, so he'll be right before the lottery and the draft is late oh, this year. Because the draft is I normally right around the June 25.
0: I blame Tankathon.
1: Yep. <laughs> Tankathon 20. has 01. not adjusted their draft date.
0: <laughs> Poor shame. Um, In college, he was putting up, uh, per 36, 17.4 points, 9 boards, 2.5 assists, and 4 stocks per game. Uh, My favorite stat about him um, had to be his high block-to-foul ratio. So he averaged, per 36, 3.1 blocks in 1.9 fouls, which is, I mean, like as, as a Michigan State fan, I watched Jaron Jackson put up crazy block numbers. But he also spent half the game on the bench because he couldn't Still stop fouling. does. <laughs> yeah, and that has not changed. That that kind of shows you know, why that's important in kind of a big man um, in the college game. Um, but beyond that, I also liked, from an offensive end, um, his free throw rate. He was getting to the line. Uh, Tankathon has it down as free throw attempts at uh, 56.6%, which I feel like is pretty high and <laughs> something that's very important, which... A little bit of it is he's a seven foot tall guy playing against like guys who are six eight, so obviously they're gonna follow him a little bit more than they would like a smaller point guard. But still the fact that he's you know going to the line and hitting sixty nine percent from the line, that's pretty nice. Like that's not bad for a seven footer. So yeah. I like what I see there.
1: Yeah, so I think the first thing you have to talk about with Evan Mobley is that he is probably the best defensive prospect I've ever seen in college. People people will put up (laughs) Anthony Davis's name. I don't think AD was as polished defensively as Mobley is, Um, and I think honestly, like you have to go back to AD to find the the comparable guy for what Mobley's done so far. Um, Last year, I was looking at Anyaka Kangwu and saying, "This is the best." Can I
0: briefly, before we brush off that AD in college averaged four point seven blocks a game. (laughs)
1: Uh, sure. Now, slightly different, slightly different game. You know, more more interior possessions and all that. But you know, a- AD is is like the next tier prospect. But we're we're looking at a guy. Um, perfect timing on everything. Just just mm-hmm. doesn't get you. You talked about the foul rate, right? He averaged less than two fouls yeah. a game, but over three blocks a game per thirty six. Yeah. Like. We're talking about a guy who doesn't make mistakes when he jumps. Um, he's got great length, great timing. Uh, he's got feet that are as fluid as any big man I've seen in college, uh, despite his his size. Um, now he is he is very skinny, and that's that's going to be something we'll get to here in a second. Yeah, he, but
0: he is kind of a smaller weight.
1: Um, you know, he moves like a wing, and like he moves like a, a good wing defender, not like you know a, a hefty. You know, clumping for, you know, he moves like a good, fluid wing defender. Um, he's switchable, pretty much one through five. Because if he gets switched onto point guards, <laughs> he might get beaten, but he can contest from behind with a, you know, wingspan that just keeps going. Um, you know, he's a good rebounder. He has good timing on rebounds. He has good hands, good soft hands. Um, you know, he gets his hands into like your dribble and gets steals. He blocks everything. They're basically the one weakness he has defensively is that right now he's not heavy enough to stop like brute force post up guys, and that's we saw that uh, in the Gonzaga game. Uh, was that the the semifinals, the Final Four game? I think it was.
0: Was it final? I think it was Elite Eight that they played them.
1: Elite Eight. Um, the uh, Drew Timmy, you know, just kind of got into him, and he wasn't really ready for that. And that'll be a thing yeah. he has to get used to in the NBA. Um But when We're, when but you're talking about that being said, it's not go that's ahead.
0: not something that you see as much in today's NBA, anyways. You're not no you're not exactly dealing with that post up game nearly as much as you would have now, to in the past.
1: You know, your Anthony Davis will post you up. Uh, Nikola Jokic will post you. Oh, up. Yeah. Joel Embiid will post you. Like there are post up guys. Andre Drummond will feast on someone like this. You know, and he's not even a good post-up player. That's just, you know, there are still, you know, the seven footers who are 260 pounds plus that will beat the shit out of you. And you'll have to get used to it. That said, Evan Mobley is able, is one of those guys who's like blocking post-ups from the ground without jumping, you know, like yeah. even when he's giving up size and even when he's getting moved, he's still able to do that. Um, So like, yeah, he needs to put on probably 30 pounds over the next couple of years um, to just get that, but that's basically it. That's what you're worried about. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about a guy who is going to say,, um, do a drop coverage and then, um, you know cover in space or switch or hedge and then recover, basically the only thing you're worried about is him getting beat down the floor off like a transition rebound and getting buried under the rim by your Andre Drummond-sized players right away in a possession. That's, that's mm-hmm. the only thing I'm really concerned about. Because anything else, you know, worst comes to worst, he's long enough and, and smart enough to just kind of stand his ground and wait for a double team. You know, that if that's the worst you can do to him defensively, you've got an awesome defensive player.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, like, watching him and kind of the way uh, that he plays, I would say he's, I think, pretty undoubtedly the best center prospect since, like, Towns. I would put him kind of in that category in terms of what... I mean, there has been a whole lot of great centers. There's been, you know, the Aiton and uh, Jaron Jackson draft, but beyond that, there hasn't been a whole lot of centers. Well, like, but even that, that said,
1: draft, like, Aiton was, you know, the physical freak where everyone was just like, we'll figure the rest out later. And, mm-hmm. like, there was nowhere near this level of polish.
0: Yeah, exactly. He wasn't... Aiton wasn't showing this in a college game. They, they both played in the Pac-12. They both had the chance to kind of show right. against similar, I would say, caliber teams, but... Mobley, when like when he was playing, he was a monster for like, USC. You
1: think about someone like Jaron Jackson, um, who I think a lot of our listeners will have, have watched in college. Like Jaron Jackson showed similar peaks of ability mm-hmm. for like four minutes in a game, and like Evan Mobley's yeah. doing it for thirty, and mm-hmm. that's just the difference is that consistency and you know the the ability to do it with regularity. If we want to flip to the other side of the ball, he's not quite as polished here, but we're still talking about a guy who is extremely advanced um, and has a baseline that is really promising. We're talking about a guy, um, great touch around the rim. Great, great touch, both hands. Uh, finishes layups, finishes post hooks. Um, good mid-range jump shot. Still working on the three-point shot. He took just like one a game. He's taken taking some, though. Uh, shot 30%. Is, that's fine. You Know, uh, his he got you as you said, he got to the line quite well. He's got he's one of those guys where like he's real skinny and bendy and like does a lot of like finishing around guys as he gets pushed over. And so, he like he, he has one of those just kind of like styles that draws fouls really well, um, which is really mm. promising. Um, 70% at the line is an elite, um, but he has like good touch, he has a, a good looking form. I don't think he walks into the league shooting. 85% from the line and, and 40% from three, but I think he will eventually be a reliable, like set shot shooter, like pick and pops will be fine. Um, he's not going to be, your like Kristaps Porzingis where he's probably coming around picks and stuff and shooting like that. But you know, he's going to stretch the floor for you. Um, and then the, the real big thing is he's a really, really good passer. And as he grew into the season last year, yeah. I think he had a seven-assist game and a six-assist game towards the end. Yeah, like a six-assist game against Oregon, a seven-assist mm-hmm. game against Arizona State. Uh, you know, those are, those are like, really impressive for a big man, especially for a big man like him who's getting doubled and trapped and stuff. Like, he has excellent composure with the ball when he's got, uh, like, in a double team. Um He has great vision for seeing across the court. You know, these aren't like dribble handoff assists. These are actual passing from the high post, from the mid post, from the low post, uh, face-up passing, passing off a live dribble, uh, throwing lobs, throwing corner skips. Um, You know, he does all of that. So when you're looking at Evan Mobley, you're looking at a guy who's going to anchor your defense for a long period of time and who's going to do a lot of things right for you offensively. And if... All you want him to do is run pick and rolls with your point guard. He's going to catch lobs <laughs> and finish layups and maybe st- grow into pick and pops. And if you need to start running offense through him, you know, you've got something really interesting. He didn't do a whole lot of short roll playmaking, but I think he, that's something he's going to be able to do going forward as well. Um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so like maybe all he ever gives you at the NBA level is like good Draymond Green, like when Draymond was, like, doing really well uh, shooting from three in, like, the 15-16 Maybe that's all he gives you, and you're still going to get an all-star.
0: Yeah. So I would say my biggest um, concern with uh, with mobile is in today's NBA game, like, the top centers are so, like, it's so unique, kind of the skill sets that make the top centers who they are. Jokic's passing is something that... Is pretty much unforeseen for any other big man, and Sabonis in a lesser way of that. You have Embiid, who's just a physical freak that can do anything on the floor. Mobley seems like kind of a, kind of a jack of all trades. Is what's the skill you think would be that sets him most apart from any of the other centers in today's game, for him to exceed at the top level and be, kind of that franchise player.
1: So touch is one of the things. Like, let's let's take like a Rudy Gobert. Right, like a, a franchise yeah. guy defensively, um, maybe a better rim protector than Mobley, just because he's much like stronger. Uh, Mobley's yeah. going to be more switchable, but let's look at them offensively. Uh, a better screen setter than Mobley. Mobley's going to have to put on weight to make some more solid screens. That's definitely a, a bad thing, but just as like uh, a slip uh, guy in the pick and roll, catching lobs, good finishing touch. That alone. The, the north-south vertical gravity is really big. If you can add short roll playmaking or the ability to catch on the block and make swing passes, now you are... Um, even without any kind of, of uh, spacing as a scorer, you are you know adding a significant elevation to your team's offense. You take Mobley, you add in the fact that he can handle the ball a little bit, which I probably should have mentioned earlier. He can put the ball on the floor and, like, dribble around the key and make a kick out. You know, again, Mm -hmm. he might not be a guy who gets you 35 as a center, but he's going to be a guy that makes your offense better when he's on the floor, pretty much guaranteed. So, yes, maybe you need to pair him with a a good guard, but you're going to have a foundation running your offense through him that, you know, like, you just aren't going to get with your average center. Like, Clint Capella, for example, good defensive center, uh, useful offensive tool, Evan mm-hmm. Mobley can definitely give you an extra level above that on his worst day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think his his potential is definitely like a like you look at a, like a bleh, you look at like a Clint Capella. It's a lot of C words there. <laughs> um <laughs> like I feel like he's got all the skills to do everything that Clint Capella does in the NBA, but also at the same time having a much higher ceiling of what he can bring to the floor. So and-
1: I think the th- the 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 phrase that just like came to mind is like decisiveness. Like it's it's one of those things like I think a lot of people can do some of the stuff that he will do on offense and he may also like he may grow into being a very good offensive player. I'm trying not mm-hmm. to hype that up cuz it's not what he's got now, but he could be. But I think like speed of thought, decisiveness. He's the guy who's going to react and make passes faster than average, who's going to like take opportunities faster than average, who gets off the floor well, um, you know, just like being able to speed up your offense in a good way um, is something that he's going to offer offer you right away.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, do you want to talk about how he kind of would fit alongside the current Pistons roster and kind of the the current core players? Because I think a lot of people have, especially over the last year, have grown very fond of Isaiah Stewart um, at the center position and think very highly of him. And obviously, if Mobley comes in. I don't think those two will pair together. I think they're a little. I, I don't think it's. only room possible. for one of them. I think Evan Mobley is going to probably. Play I'm saying for like four. a starting lineup.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think, I think Mobley will come in and play four um, for a little bit, especially until he gets up towards like the 230, 235 pound range, um, just because he's not going to have the weight to bang in there. Even with someone like Isaiah Stewart, you know, he's going to be relying on length the whole time. Um, mm mm-hmm. You know, especially if Isaiah is, if the three-point shooting is real, you know, and you can park one of them in the corner while the other one runs something. Or you can do, um, like, some Spain action, have, you know, one of them pop out and the other one rolling. You know, like, there, there are things that you can do with both of them. The other thing is, like, it's okay to have one off the bench. I've said before, I think it's fine that Stewart's, you know, I, th- I think of Stewart as being a very good bench big rather than being the guy I want starting. And if I've mm-hmm. got a if I've got Mobley on the floor for 35 minutes a night and I've got Stewart on the floor for 26 minutes a night and they overlap for, you know, 11 of those, I am totally fine with that. Um Yeah. You know, yeah, that probably freezes Mason Plumlee out of the equation for a little bit in the long term, but you know, it's also not a bad thing um to like have a guy who's not pressured to play immediately in critical Uh, minutes right away, and like have a roster that allows somebody to breathe just a little bit. You know, it's fine Mm. to have three guys who play power forward slash center rotating through that position for a minute. And you know what? If uh, if you draft Mobley and it turns out that he's you know, he's he's ready, you trade Mason (laughs) Plumley, you know, exactly. I'm not, I'm not worried about Stewart, uh, Mobley overlap, there's minutes for both of them. It's, it's Stuart, Mobley, Plumley Overlap, and we know how we can solve that problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the Grim Reaper would be very happy to finish that one there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Want to move on to our third prospect of the day? Sure. All right. So the third one, um, which has been chosen specifically by Jake, um, is the third prospect on his board. I want to make that very clear, um, is Jalen Green. Was the guard that we talked about earlier in the year? Um, he played a year in the G League for the Ignite. He is six foot five, 185 pounds, six foot eight wingspan. Will be about 19 and a half at the draft. In terms of stats, um, in the G League, in the 15 games he played, he put up 20 points uh, per 36, 4.5 or 4. Point, yeah, 4.5 rebounds, three assists, and two stocks. Um, something that pointed out, he had a pretty, okay, kind of a little bit mediocre assist to turnable ratio of 1.05, but the thing that stuck out the most was his low free throw, um, attempt rate, which I think we had talked about when we talked about him earlier in the year, um, only getting to the line on 17% of the time. Um, so once again, explain to me, Jalen Green.
1: Well, so we, we talked about him before. I wanna say this, you you're 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 hitting me with these these shots on, on my big board. I think the important thing is he's in this cluster of players because we wanna group players, you know, thematically. And I think even your Jalen Suggs fans are probably gonna admit, like, Jalen Green's ceiling as a star is just higher than what Suggs is. Like Suggs is a good player and we'll talk about him in another podcast. But what Green could give you is a thirty point scorer. Um, you know, he could be your Devin Booker, he could be your Brad Beal, and you know, that that's what you're you're hoping for if you draft him. Now you're right, the the free throw rate is probably the biggest concern. We we've talked about Green before a little bit, so I don't want to go too crazy, but you're talking about a guy, uh elite athleticism, needs to put on weight in order to to really weaponize it. That's mm-hmm. a big part of where that free throw rate issue is. Um needs to shore up the shot selection um but he's a guy hits free throws well hits threes well hits threes off step backs hits threes off the move hits threes off the catch uh probably needs to do a little bit more um of hitting threes like off pin downs and, and like severe movement um but he's he's shot off the catch a little bit uh again the big thing for Jalen Green is that he's a guy who has to prove to us that he can be both the score and the guy who can take that scoring and learn how to facilitate with it. He made the obvious passes with the Ignite. And that's not a bad thing, but you have to learn how to make the skip passes, um, you know, how to how to run give and goes and two man game things. Like, he's not a guy right now you'd want to pair with Nikola Jokic. Right? Like you just like he's not yeah. he's not that kind of player yet. Um so he's he's I think the most interesting case for talking about like different pathways a player can take, because we have this this guy who's already athletic, uh, a good scorer. So so what's his pathway to stardom? There's the there's the Devin Booker pathway, right? The guy who uh, turns out he's a way better playmaker than we think. He's got a, a better understanding of timing and space in the pick and roll, and he's eventually able to get you like six assists a game as a shooting guard. There's the mm-hmm. like. I don't know who the best comparison for this is like the glorified KCP role or like the kind of like the guard version of a Kawhi where, you know, he's, he's getting you 28 and four assists, but he's a lockdown defender, right? Like that can be a high level star in his, in your own right. It's not necessarily the, the traditional star capital S star we think of, but like that's still a really high ceiling, high impact guy. If you're that, that player, and then I think the third pathway for him is, like, the Brad Beal, where it's, like, it doesn't matter that I'm not giving you, uh, you know, seven, eight assists because I'm giving you 36 points a night. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think, actually, the, the like, guard version of Kawhi path might be the one that's, like, the easiest for him. Like, he has the talent to be a good defender. He certainly has the talent to score. Um, So, you know, if he can be a routine playmaker get you the the 25 to 30 points a night and then be the lockdown defender that he has the talent to be you know that's plausible in its own right and you know a, a guy easily worth taking top three easily worth taking number one in a lot of drafts um you know i think he's very clearly a number three guy for me in this draft but there's still a lot of potential here for jalen green
0: yeah, I mean, I think there's no way to dispute kind of the amount of potential that he has, um, especially coming into this, you know, coming into a year that is, I feel like in this draft is very much there's a one and a two, and then there's a little bit of a drop off. But I think he is, I mean, him and Suggs kind of kind of go back and forth. I think Suggs is the more bona fide. You know, he's shown it in college. You can kind of see what skills we think will more translate. Jalen played in you know in the G League. So he had a little bit of an odd experience there compared to kind of most uh, you know, lottery prospects nowadays. On top of that, he I don't think he exactly was overly impressive in those games that he played on the night. I think he did a decent job scoring it, but
1: the, you know, I mean, there's the, really... The difference between the two, you can to. say, is like uh, Suggs answered a lot of questions and Jalen Green asked a lot of questions. And, you know, if, yep. if you... If you have your own confidence in the uh, in the answers for Jalen Green, I think you're you're the kind of person who has him higher on your board than Jalen Suggs.
0: Yep, I think that's the perfect way to put it. Where Suggs is much less of a mystery, and I think that you know, it could be part of where Jalen Green kind of gets that higher potential at. Uh, but at the same time, we don't know the answer to those questions yet. We're not going to see them until he gets on, you know, an NBA basketball floor. So. There's definitely a lot of questions with Jalen Green and a lot yet to be discovered and inter- indetermined. So I think whatever team ends up getting Jalen, um, I hope that it's a team that has, you know, a great development and kind of wants to look for the long-term future and isn't looking for that immediate prospect um, because I think Jalen Suggs is the guy who's going to produce more right away. Uh, but 10 years down the line, we could be looking at it like, how did we, you know, compare the two? <laughs> like... We could see like five years from now, it's going to be looking at you know Luke Kennard versus Donovan Mitchell. Do you, Do you think where... it would be
1: that bad though? Like let's let's say Jalen Suggs hits his like peak and becomes like a, a Drew Holiday kind of player, you know, like he's this mm-hmm. this awesome utility guy on both ends, and then Jalen Green becomes Brad Beal, and you've got the I Drew mean, Holiday. <laughs> like like let's let's just I say think they if, both if have that's what extremes. happens, that's. Like, yeah, are you're you
0: hitting both the extremes in that?
1: Like, well, I'm just saying, is is that something where you're going to be like, my God, I can't believe we drafted the Drew Holiday instead of the Brad Beal? Are
0: you know? I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm going to be upset about you know drafting a Bradley Beal. That's I would consider that a win. Um, but I think that's kind of you're you're basing that more on the extreme, and uh, I don't feel like the extreme of them both being successful. Then I. I mean, it kind of depends on your roster construction if you want someone like Bradley Beal, who's a more scorer versus Drew Holiday, can kind of play both but, ways. And, and so I guess, but, I guess your uh, point
1: maybe is that you don't think Green is as likely to hit his ceiling, right? Is that, is that what you're trying I to think, say? And so you're, you're worried more about the bust potential there?
0: Yes. I think from what we've seen from Green, there's still a lot of questions yet to be answered. He's got a lot of potential. But he hasn't really shown it so far um, at the level that he's played. Um, it, coming in, I just I like what I've seen from Suggs. I kind of like the intangibles that he brings to the table. I have more faith in him hitting his potential than I do in Jalen Green. It might not be as high as Jalen Green, but I have more faith in him hitting that potential and kind of living up to the expectations uh, that are set for him. And I think a lot of other people are pretty high on Suggs as well. Um, I think those two are going to be definitely the at least in the beginning of the lottery, the two, the two players that are kind of compared and contrasted because they do kind of have a somewhat similar stature. They do have kind of a not similar games, but they're going to be kind of in that same bracket, I would say, in the same tier. And there's going to be a lot of people going on each and each opposite sides of it. Um, and something that we're not going to know until like five years down the road and we're seeing who's getting what contract. And <laughs> it could very well be Jalen Green. Or it could be Suggs. This is why, you know, the draft is kind of a crapshoot. You don't really know.
1: Um, we talked about this when we did the Green and, and the Suggs thing, for that matter. Do you have any real concerns with fit in Detroit for Jalen Green?
0: Um, I wouldn't say so. I think in terms of the fit with the Pistons, um, I mean, if you look at it long term, <laughs> I mean, the main thing is going to be, you know, whoever is, you know, excelling out on the floor is going to be getting the minutes. Um, but I think in terms of so far we've had Sadiq Bey look really good, I think he'd fit perfectly alongside Sadiq Bey. I know Hamadou Diallo, who technically the Pistons don't have under contract, but he is pretty highly thought of in the organization. Um, I think Diallo can be a definite like like a benchmark, or like a, I forget the word I'm looking for, but like uh, someone for uh, Green to try and catch up to and kind of usurp for that starting role, if that is you know the long-term plans there. So I think, you know, the entire Pistons roster is very fluid. I think in general, and we made a point system. in saying that earlier, <laughs> with the with the Evan Mobley um, uh, fit. But I mean, when you get a when you get a player whose potential is to be a three and D, you know, wing in the league, you like yeah, any team will take it. It's hard to any waste that. It's
1: really hard to yeah. waste that. All right. Yeah. Um, Let's wrap this up, I guess, by looking at all three of these guys. Um, I think we discussed them pretty clearly in the order we draft them. I think you agree there. There's yeah. not there's not much reason to to debate that. Um, mm-hmm. Is there is there anything we've talked about that would give you reason to draft Mobley over Cade or Green over either of them?
0: I mean, no. I think they're very. The top of the draft, I think, is very well broken up into. It's Cade one because he is the, you know, he's the ideal that you want in today's NBA. He's a guy who's gonna, he's gonna hold the, he's gonna carry the ball at the court. He's gonna put people in positions to succeed. He's gonna score at will. Like that is, he's everything that you want in an NBA player nowadays. Mobley, I think, is number two. He's the big man who can kind of do it all. He has a modern game, but is still seven feet tall moves like moves like you know i'm like hakeem like he can move up and down that court and i think there's no one else that has kind of the uh potential that he can bring besides of course cade and then in terms of green i mean he's he's going to be third in the pack but that's still a very he's still got a very high potential and like we said he's (laughs) he could very easily be the best player in this draft just with his out of the way he is in terms of his body in terms of his size what he can bring on the court we're just it's yet to be seen but I think I would be very shocked if we go into the draft and to see an order other than Cade then Mobley 1-2 no matter no matter who's picking <laughs> you can give me any any team in the league I think that's what it's going to be
1: I think there's a couple of people that might go might actually go Suggs number 2 there's a lot of people who, who are that high and there are people that but, do like Suggs um so, I think the last thing um, I'll ask you is, if we draft each of these guys, what would be the next thing you'd want to see the Pistons do to kind of support them and build around them? For example, last year, um, we draft Killian Hayes, and Dwayne Casey's big thing was, can I have Mason Plumlee to give him this center that, that you know, this playmaking center, this partner for him in pick and rolls? Um you know, so if you draft Cade Cunningham, presumably he's playing nominally as a two or a three, lineup-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, what's something you'd want to see the Pistons do to support him? Is there a, a trade you want to make or a, a, a player archetype you want to bring in? We don't have to get too specific with you know specific free agents or whatever, but.
0: So I would say with Cade, much like I still feel like, I mean, it, it's kind of tough to say because. With anyone who's going to be young and with the ball in his hands, you kind of want a big guy who can be great at setting screens and kind of playing off them. And I think we we already have that in Mason Plumley. So Mason Plumley would be kind of the same person um, who I think would be very important. Yep. Um, so it, I mean, with it, like I said, with any with any young you know ball handler, you want a center that can can match up with them and play well with them. Um, so in terms of Kate, I don't think there's any. Specific type of player, I think the Pistons are missing. We kind of have that in Plumlee. I would say beyond that, just finding more you know shooters to play around the wing. Uh, see if we can get like a stretch four, or I mean, honestly, stretch four is kind of the only thing in today's game. But uh, <laughs> just a, just a four that can kind of let's get kinda...
1: traditional four. Where's Zach Randolph? <laughs> I need <laughs> Zach Randolph <or> back. <laughs>
0: I would always use more Z-Bo. Um but just just more shooting, I guess, around him would be another thing that.
1: So, if so you, here's the sneak. If, if I, have, question, I have a wish list, then sure. <laughs> like obviously, more shooting is is like kind of the hole in the Pistons roster. Period. Right. Like we have a lot yeah. of athlete wings who aren't shooters. Um, do you? Look at you're, you. If, Sekou. If you're the GM, do you intentionally build to succeed here?
0: I mean, I don't think you're necessarily trying to build. To to succeed, you're definitely still looking you know, down like, the road. E-
1: even something as simple as like the Wayne Ellington type signing. Like, do you do you have a fear that that gets you too close to the play in, and that that's someplace you don't want to be, kind of thing? You know, are you personally? Is, I don't. Is there any is there any concern where it's like, okay, are we are we gonna do too much here because we drafted the guy, and maybe I want to kind of sneak back into the sixth pick next year?
0: I mean, I think it's. I mean, in the NBA today, there's so many teams trying to lose. I think if you have a team that's good enough to win, there's going to be no two ways around it. You're going to win games, and I'm not going out of my way to make my team worse. That is for sure, especially with some of these young guys. Because, I mean, I, I would say with something like a Kristaps Porzingis, I think he was on a better path in his first year, and then just kind of stumbled off. It. And I think part of that has to do with the organization that he was in. And just kind of what transpired there. And it kind of set him... Put some bad habits into his into his mind. What'd you um, think so about... I, just
1: like being like... Mm, you know, maybe Josh Jackson and Hami Diallo aren't great fits. Because obviously they're non-shooting wings. But like... Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't replace them with something. Maybe I just ride this out. Because I don't want to... You know, I don't want to be too good.
0: I mean, I'm not trying to just... Surround them with veteran shooters that can come in and... You know... We'll Play a lot of minutes. I still want to find so it's so still going to be a bad okay, team. So, we're still two years away from, so from signing Jay Crowder, yeah. is what you're telling me
1: because <laughs> that's <laughs> always what happens. It's okay, we're ready to go sign Jay Crowder.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's still time to take the flyers on kind of the young players and see who still has you know hasn't lived up to their potential yet but can break through uh, with some more playing time. So, I'm still looking to sign like the Josh Jacksons. Hamadou Diallos, the kind of the players like that. I'm still looking to bring those guys in. And, you know, if they excel and we win, then so be it. I'm not going to try and lose with the team that I have, but I'm not exactly building in veteran role players to, you know, make a run for it.
1: Any similar thoughts about Jalen Green or Evan Mobley?
0: So for Mobley, Mobley I would say I would actually kind of want... In the same way, we have a Mason Plumlee as like a veteran big to be paired with Killian. I would also like to get us uh, like a veteran point guard who can really, who's ran an NBA system before, kind of knows what he's doing, and can kind of get used to putting him in the right spots. Maybe not someone who's going to be you know starting every game. Someone more who's going to be coming off the bench as like a backup role, which I feel like the Pistons have had mm, pretty back and forth success on finding those um, kind of point guards, but. Uh, just, just finding someone who can kind of help him get in the right places and help him get used to playing with, you know, a veteran point guard in the lead. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah. the Pistons' current roster does not have a whole lot of uh, veteran point guards. It's not. I mean, obviously and we and have is, Kojo, but is, beyond that, it's,
1: yeah, is is, is, <laughs> is Kojo enough, or do you need something different?
0: I mean, I still want Kojo as the trade piece. I still think he's got a pretty good, pretty useful contract to be that. I think. I personally think that's why he was brought in. Besides, just we needed salary cap filler to make it even. Um, I, if he's on the team for that reason, and we draft Mobley number two, then and Kojo is like that nominal backup point guard that comes in, plays a lot of minutes with Mobley specifically, kind of gets him used to the NBA game. Then I'd be fine with that. I think he's, I think he'd be fine for that role. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's not I, something that I would. I would almost look to if like, we bring in someone else for it, it's fine.
1: I would almost look to like finding the playmaking like. Shooting guard slash wing. Like, can we get a little more creativity, like from a secondary player? Um, what?
0: Josh Jackson's enough for you? No,
1: <laughs> no, and, and like, um, almost like Andre Iguodala isn't the the person. Obviously, he's he's old, and, but like something in that mold of like the guy who just like makes things tick from the perimeter. Um, just so, just because, like, I think we're going to run into an issue and we've seen it now where like you know we find Sadiq Bay and and you know he just lacks the playmaking to like make the next pass and if you have like something like you're running Killian Hayes uh Evan Mobley pick and rolls it's all going really well and you just start to like see things stagnate and like the ideal uh like flow of the play might be for the the next guy to like drive in and give Mobley a a wide open lob because they've just kind of freed open that like dunker spot lob and like we don't have the guy that sees that right now from the wing position unless Josh Jackson is having a good day which you know (laughs) one in three so yeah like I that might be the one thing I look for is like can we get some veteran you know help on the wing that maybe has a little bit more playmaking verve to kind of keep the spacing and keep the pacing of the team going um I don't I don't know if there's any hole I'd fill with with Jalen Green other than maybe I'd be yeah. pretty much instantaneously willing to trade Josh Jackson like I don't need him anymore.
0: Nah, I mean I wouldn't say right away. I would say if, if you if you think the long term future is Hamadou Diallo at uh, well not long term future, but like the the, the, the the stepping stone in the way is gonna be Hamadou Diallo. You get you kinda gotta choose between Diallo and Jackson, I think, at that point. Yeah, and if you and draft, I would, like a, I
1: would... Keep Diallo, personally. Yeah, so. I'm okay
0: with that. Depending on what contract comes out, but both, yeah, both because um, I Josh think Josh Jackson is more
1: tradable. Um, like, I think he's more interesting to some teams. I, I think, like, I don't think I can get a first rounder for Diallo, but I think I could get a first rounder for Josh Jackson. Um, just because, like, the teams that are trading for Diallo yeah, are can... like are like Detroit, where they're like willing to take a gamble, and those teams have valuable first rounders. You know, whereas like the team trading for mm-hmm. Josh Jackson is like a Lakers team with the Twenty eighth pick or something, so like, yeah, um, yeah, and, and I think we've talked about that before. But like, I, I would just, it's like I would I would clear space for Jalen Green, basically, is what I'm saying. I, w- I would make sure the roster do- isn't too cluttered because I think he's a guy Dwayne Casey will not play because he's <laughs> fucking shit up. <laughs> and maybe I need to make e. sure that there there are kind of minutes that have to go his way, kind of thing.
0: Yep. Um, yep. Real quick with that, I would say if, we, if we're going to trade a, a Josh Jackson, I've kind of hoped to. Kind of keep him on the roster for the first half of the year and try and look it for him as a trade deadline, kind of trading piece. Because it's five million, five million on the salary, one year deal. He would be very movable, especially if he's you know performing well uh, to a playoff team. So I would like to explore that option even regardless. I think, of I think anytime draft.
1: starting draft day, his his value is going to be about the same. But
0: um, I mean, just once once those contenders kind of shake out and someone knows they're going for a title, they. They would be a little bit more open to trading a first-round pick than they would during the draft.
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, all right, I think that'll do it for us today. We got over yeah. an hour. That's that's too much. We
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went we went a little long. There's gonna be some editing, hopefully. Um, but overall, I think we covered what we wanted to cover. This is obviously going to be uh, kind of a longer one with because we, of course, gush about Caden Mobley. Yeah, because
1: so. because we have three <laughs> excellent. Prospects. So, next time I think we'll we'll look at um, like some of the shooting guard wing prospects, uh, maybe Moses Moody, mm-hmm. Book Knight, and uh, Jaden Springer or something like that. Um, yep. So we'll, we'll we'll look at something like that for for the next one. So we'll see people then, hear people yep. then, speak to people then. We'll speak to you then. Proclaim you. to people we'll, then. Oh, I like that. I'll proclaim at you then.
0: <laughs> Proclaim seems a very good verb for you.
1: <laughs> Goodbye, people.
0: Alright. Good night, everyone. Ah.
1: Ah. Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.